This is a sermon given at St. David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. Visit our website at stdave.org. So fair warning this morning, it takes a bit of concentration to keep up with the fast pace of the biblical narrative we have heard over the past few weeks, especially since we're trying to pay attention to what we've heard all the while with the living in the complexities of our own lives during the holiday season. At light speed, we have moved from Mary's pregnancy to Jesus' birth to a visit from shepherds to the wise men from the east. Then today we are quickly transported to the River Jordan, listening to a fiery sermon from John the Baptist and watching the adult Jesus step into the water. The wise men showed up about 12 hours ago. (laughs) Now we have the adult Jesus in the waters of baptism. So it's reasonable to flip back in the bulletin a few weeks and see if we've missed something important. And likewise, the compilers of the the lectionary this morning have made it even more complicated. They've connected the baptism of Jesus to the creation of the universe in Genesis and to the psalmist talking about the creative power of God. And meanwhile, he today calls on us to renew our baptismal covenant connecting us to the salvific work of the birth, crucifixion, death, and and resurrection of Jesus. And to top it all off, you probably had to rush yesterday to get down all your Christmas decorations, and I bet you a dollar you've slipped up on your New Year's resolution at least once. (laughs) So I'm just saying, this is a lot. There's a lot going on, and it's a lot to be asked to do in one day. So I'm going to appeal to my raising. As most of you know, I was raised in the Baptist church. I was raised by Baptist preachers. And there's a well-established pattern in Baptist preaching. Three points. All right? So we're going to try it that way and see if it helps us. So I'm going to ask you to focus on three things. One is a Jewish custom that I want to tell you about. Second is one of the sentences at the end of the gospel according to Mark. And then returning to a sentence we just heard out of the beginning of the gospel according to Mark. All right, so first, the Jewish custom is a custom called keriah. And that is the practice of rending the garment to express grief over the death of a close family member. They're expected to grab the garment and tear it to show that they are heartbroken. The Jewish Chronicle tells us The kariah comes from the verb meaning to rip or to rend. And Jewish law requires mourners from close relatives to tear an item of clothing on hearing of the death or at the funeral. We read of mourners tearing their clothes in the Bible. Jacob rips his cloak when he hears the false report of his son Joseph's demise in Genesis. And David tears his when he receives the news of Saul's death in 2 Samuel. So this practice comes to mind for me every time I hear the crucifixion story in the gospel according to Mark. So we're moving to our second emphasis. First, Kariah. Second, the end of the gospel according to Mark. In chapter 15, verse 37, as Jesus is dying on the cross, Mark writes, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, to remind you, the inner sanctum of the temple, the Holy of Holies, was the very dwelling place of God, and it was covered by a curtain. 
And this protected sinful people from the majesty, power, and wrath of God. The traditional Christian interpretation of this supernatural tearing of the, gar of the curtain is that the death of Christ removed the barrier that separates us from God. Sin no longer separates us from God or one another due to the death of Jesus. This is solid, ancient Christian interpretation of this event. And yet, many, many years ago, as I was sitting in a classroom in Sewanee, Tennessee, I listened to an impassioned professor read the end of the gospel according to Mark. And as he read about the curtain being torn in two, he placed his hands on his shirt and with a grief-stricken face reenacted Kariah. He said with great pathos, God rent his garment at the death of his son Jesus. This forever changed the way I experienced that story. Christ's death, far from being some premeditated remedy, some economic transaction for an ultimate spiritual malady, is something totally different. It is instead, it is a revealing of the broken heart of God. Now this brings us back to our third step. Back to the story of the baptism of Jesus. So Mark 1, 10, 11 tells us that after Jesus came up out of the waters of baptism, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending upon him like a dove and a voice from heaven that said, you are my son, my beloved, and you I am well pleased now, some older translations translate this, the heavens were opened. And so it makes the following experience of Jesus into something that might have been beautiful and tender and affirming. The spirit, like a dove, descends upon Jesus himself and a voice speaks to him directly. says, you are my son. You are my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. God looks at Jesus and basically says, that's my boy. That's my boy. I am so proud. In this interpretation, the incarnation of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, which we just celebrated, is Emmanuel, God with us. By his holy incarnation, the barrier that separates us between God, creation and creator is removed. And likewise, at Jesus' baptism, the barrier is removed by the heavens opening up and Jesus hearing the voice of God affirming who he is and the work he is to do, then subsequently prepares him for the hard work in front, the temptations in the wilderness, the three years of ministry that will lead to his arrest, death, crucifixion, and ultimately his resurrection. Once again, this is solid, solid received Christian teaching. But the word in this passage in Mark literally means rent asunder. The heavens were torn apart. So it makes me wonder if these stories are not also trying to tell us something else about the nature of God. Not just the transacting that's taking place, but I wonder if this curtain being rent asunder at the death of Jesus is also showing us the broken heart of God. And also, this is a leap. And there are theologians in the room, so you're going to tell me after it's over if it was too big a leap. 
I wonder if the heavens being torn apart at Jesus' baptism is also showing us the same thing. The broken heart of God. As Jesus steps out of the water of baptism, God can see the difficult journey that lie ahead for him. Temptations, struggle, misunderstanding, arrest, crucifixion, death. God knows the power of sin and how destructive it can be. And he knows how destructive it's going to be in Jesus' life. And like any parent, knowing that their child is stepping into harm's way, God is heartbroken. As Jesus steps out of the water of baptism, maybe God tears God's garment and says, but that's my boy. That's my son. Truly, the life of being baptized is joyful and energizing, but it is also simultaneously difficult and painful. To live the life of the baptized means that a person forever agrees to live by a different set of rules than the rules in the world around us. In the face of greed, we choose to live generously. In the face of hatred, we choose to live in love. And in the face of violence, we grow ever more committed to peace and reconciliation. As all of you who are baptized know, the life is full of joy and love, to be sure, knowing that the barrier between us and God has been removed. But as all of you who are baptized also know, it is at the same time heartbreaking and a garment-rending life. When we see bombs falling from the sky on Israel and Gaza, it breaks our hearts. But what if the temple curtain is being rent asunder with every bomb and it breaks God's heart? Every time a person goes to sleep hungry, every time a every time a child is neglected or abused, every time a person drowns in the Rio Grande, the heavens are torn apart. And we hear God's voice saying, "But that's my baby. That's my daughter. That's my son." So this morning, we are invited to renew our baptismal vow. You sure you're up for this? And now in this service, we're going to witness the baptism of a man and his son. To make it even more tender, the boy is Chad's grandson, so just so you know. So it's a particularly beautiful and tender day. And so one might rightly, one, I don't know, say Macy, his mom, might rightly confront me after this service and say, really, this is the day? <laughs> this is the day you decide to talk to us about God's broken heart? The day of the baptism of my child? Macy, you, you, it would be fair confrontation. Fair enough. But what if stepping into the water of baptism connects us to something that is deeply true about the God we love. That God really is Emmanuel. That God really is with us. That we're not alone in this whole beautiful, glorious 
sinful, heartbroken world. But instead, we're immersed in the compassionate heart of God. What if baptism joins us not to a God who is somehow wholly different and other than us, fixing something that is broken coolly and objectively, but to a God who is deeply immersed in our lives? What if baptism joins us to a God who is both proud beyond words and says, that's my girl, that's my boy, but a God who also has God's hands on God's garment and rips it and says, but that's my boy, that's my girl. Well, that would be a God who is Emmanuel. That would be a God who's in this with us. That would be a God who knows us. That would be a God who loves us. That would be a God who is truly incarnate. And maybe that is a God we could trust. Maybe that's a God who could actually save us. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can find more lectures and sermons on iTunes by searching for St. David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas, or visit our website at stdave.org and click on the podcast button.